Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. Kimberly Macheski, thanks for joining us today as well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. Okay, I know that you're a city girl. I mean, you really are. Uh, that's, I, okay, you've never told me that. I'm just, I'm just saying it out You're loud. Just deducting, yes. You are a city girl. <laughs> You're all about some of that shine. You yeah. like the energy of the city and so on. Yes. Okay. So, what is the city that you would just say is the greatest city in the yes, world? Yes. I mean, the what is the greatest city in the world? New York City. I'm telling you what. New York City is in a standalone class. You're exactly spot on. It is the Big Apple, and today our guest is actually someone who has called New York City home for their whole, what I'll say, brief lifetime, given my advanced age. Uh, Welcome, this is Michael Copeland. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, super excited to be here. Michael Copeland calls New York City home and he's actually in New York City right now. Kimberly and I are in our studio in central Indiana near Indianapolis, but uh, Michael is in New York and uh, he's in his home office. He just bought a house, he and his wife, he said their first house in Long Island. How's it feeling to have a mortgage? It feels amazing. Um, (laughs) Like seriously, I'm just so happy. We have three children and so I'm happy that uh, we don't have any neighbors hitting the ceiling because our boys are jumping around too much or anything like that. Yep. People don't understand until they visited the city, like the way you people live in these small apartments that are zillions of dollars. I mean, it's unbelievable what square footage costs there. Yeah, those small apartments prepared us for the quarantine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was it was great. Actually, we, we, we definitely had a relatively small apartment, but there was a, a nice park right across the street. And so Good. we were able to our kids to go across the street and then come back and just have a lot of, a lot of uh, close time together. So, Michael, tell us about growing up in New York, because uh, New York is a place I've visited many, many times, but I've never lived there. It's always fascinating, just like Kimberly said, uh, for people in other parts of the country who may not live in such intensely congregated urban environments. It's so fascinating when you drop in as a visitor to imagine what life is like. What was life like for you? What part of the city did you grow up in? Give us a glimpse of growing up in New York City. It has everything. Yeah. (laughs) that anybody would want in a, in a place. Um, obviously, I'm a little biased. But uh, for instance, when I was younger, living with my parents, I grew up grew up in Queens, New York. Okay. Um, there are so many different aspects to Queens. You have, of course, like Jamaica Heights, Jamaica Estates, um, St. Albans, Cambria Heights. There's so many different places, Bayside of Queens, and they all have their own personality. But I grew up in Queens, and again, um, it was great. Um, there, of course, we have so many different parks that we can go to, and you know, I play a lot of basketball growing up. Um, of course, when I got married, then I moved to Brooklyn, to Crown Heights. Mm. And in Brooklyn, there's so much history there mm-hmm. uh, with the different museums and the different places you can go and just learn about everything. It is just so amazing um, what you have there. And then now I live in Long Island, which, of course, has given us a little bit more space, a little bit quieter. Uh, but again, still, um, there's still history there. And so I remember after I graduated with my grad degree, um, I had an internship and they put me up and I lived in the city. And so that was also a shock because 
literally I can leave my apartment at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. and I can get pizza. The pizza shop first. <laughs> everything was alive. People were, it literally looked like rush hour. And Michael, when you say the city, you mean in Manhattan? Manhattan, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what most people imagine. Uh, we've all heard of Queens and Brooklyn and Staten Island, but it's Manhattan with Central Park and all the uh, skyscrapers that people imagine. Michael, I know the city is amazing. I know, though, you guys have been sort of the epicenter through the pandemic. Tell us a little bit what life has been like there for you and for you uh, in the work that you do. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, it's been something like we have never experienced before. My goodness. Um, It's So I work at a a charter school. I'm the director of operations for a charter school in Brooklyn, New York, um, specifically Williamsburg, New York. And so the the population that we serve are generally underserved people, uh, underserved students. And so they have different socioeconomic disadvantages that they're dealing with. And so, of course, now we have a pandemic. And so it hits our population heavily because there are some of our students that will come to school just so that they can have breakfast, that they can have a snack and that they can have lunch. Um, And then when you're not able to come to the school anymore, now you have to figure out how are these students still going to get these meals? Mm -hmm. Um, There are some students that live, that we serve that live in shelters. And so they come into school and now they're able to get some services that they may not get um, at home. And so when this pandemic hit, it hit us hard. Also, of course, we were really big on technology at our school. Mm-hmm. Now we have to convert to remote learning, but many of the kids do not have any form of smart devices or laptops or computers or even internet. And so it was definitely a struggle mm-hmm. to, to get everyone up and running. But there, one thing I love is that at least we have a great community of people as well as the board, as well as um, other partners that literally gave laptops or tablets to every single one of our students. Wow. Um, Hot spots that the students were able to still learn um, even while they're home or wherever they're at. Um, And there are some companies like Spectrum or other companies that were giving free Wi-Fi to some of these families um, for a period. And so at least the, the families were still able to connect these kids were still able to engage with some of their classmates and they were still able to learn. Michael, you've been telling us about the pandemic in New York and of course the pandemic has converged with another big headline and that's the death of George Floyd and the many, uh, emotions and street protests and things. And again, New York City has been an epicenter. You're a 30-something young African-American male. How have you experienced that in the city? I would say that this experience has brought forth a full gambit of emotions. I I remember when my wife uh, came to me, now he's four. So he came to me about four and a half years ago or so um, to five years ago and said that she was pregnant with our first child. And I remember that when she told me that, or when we found out that it was a boy, 
I was extremely elated. But a heaviness actually came over me. And the heaviness came over me because I knew I would have to have conversations with him that you shouldn't have to have with a child. Um, a heaviness came over me because I knew that there is a high probability, like, like, like I experienced myself, that he would come face to face with someone that is not going to treat him like he should be treated um, or that he will be treated differently than some of his counterparts. Um, and I knew that because again, that happened to myself, that happened to my parents, that happened to um, the vast majority of people that um, I come in contact with on a daily basis. And so it was sad because this kid in my mind is perfect. By seeing so many different people of different backgrounds, of different ethnicities coming together for a common purpose, I felt hope. Um, and then that we are better off today than we were a hundred years ago. And there's a hope that we'll be better off a um, hundred years from now than we are today. So it was a full gambit of emotions. As we look around the world, uh, there's so much to celebrate, honestly. And I'm thinking about you, Michael, in New York City. There's so much to love about New York. Uh, but we also know, just as we've been talking about, there are many broken places in our world, too. Uh, yeah. there, there are parts of the world's story. There's the part of the story in our own communities that needs to be changed. You know, as you look around the place where you live and the city that you call home and that you love so much, if there was something you could change about it, how would you like to change the story of New York? I think that, and again, I'm only, I can only speak from what I've heard. I think when people, when people are brought face to face with, let's say a New Yorker, or like, what do you think about a New Yorker? Sometimes people say, well, they may have an attitude or they have a chip on their shoulder or they're just so fast paced or, or things like that. <laughs> One of the things I, I would love, specifically in the area in which I deal with, I want them to really see the beauty in it. Mm. I think so many times you may see like the glitz and glamour of Times Square or different things, but the people are absolutely beautiful. Mm. The kids are absolutely beautiful and it's a melting pot um, because you're, you're gonna get everything. Um, I remember being in college and I was literally, um, my best friends are all of different nationalities. And so I, I think one of the things I, um, I want to change the story is how even New York is perceived um, because I believe it's a, an, absolute, uh, an absolutely beautiful place, but uh, I want people to really just see this, is how beautiful, how amazing the people are in the city. Michael Copeland, you work at a charter school, and that has to be changing the story of a lot of kids' lives. How many kids attend this school when it's not in a pandemic? Um, so last year, we had 309 students. This school year, we're going to be having a little bit more. Um, our, our enrollment got up a little bit more. So it's, I say we'll, we'll fluctuate anywhere between 300 to 320 students we'll have. 
And I know, Michael, that you not only serve in the school, that's a calling and a vocation, but you also pour into lives in other ways too, because you're very active in your local church and in the larger association of churches uh, that you have uh, risen to prominence to lead. Uh, you are the president of something called the National Inspirational Youth Convention, which draws huge crowds every year between Christmas and New Year's to a convention. And these are all points of influence. They're, they're intersections, as we might say, uh, in life. And there's something inside of you that is changing the story of the world around you. And I want to ask you, what changes the story in your own life? What is it inside of you that has changed your story? You could have gone a hundred other directions. You might have pursued a career in many other disciplines. What makes you tick? I have been fortunate to have a lot of people in my life that has poured into me. And so, for instance, my father, of course, he sacrificed a lot coming up from West Indies, um, working multiple jobs, about three to four jobs at one particular time in his life um, to support my sister and I. Um, of course, my mother has made so many um, sacrifices herself um, for us. And so, and then of course, I have a a network of people around me that has made many sacrifices so that we can actually have a better life. And so mm. one of the things I realized is that no one gets to where they are all by themselves. That's right. And so one of the things I, I like to do is help other people out. Mm. And so wherever I'm at, one of the things um, I want to do is leave that place better than when um, I first got there. Um, and so as it pertains to, of course, uh, my job, um, I want those kids to, one, I want to model before them like excellence. I want to model before them love. Mm -hmm. And I want to model before them that I truly believe in them and that they can do anything. Um, of course, in ministry, of course, yes, I am the president um, uh, of the National Inspirational Youth Convention. But when I see these, these students, when I see these kids, I want them to know that they are the best, the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Um, that nobody can do life like them because they are unique in every single way. Um, I want them to know that there is a purpose, they have a plan, and I want them to, to be able to reach that. Why? Because there were times in my life when I didn't feel much of anything. There were times in my life when I didn't feel, to be honest, um, there were times in my life when I didn't feel that even if I left the earth, that I would be missed. Mm. Um, and so those were very low periods in my own life that um, I know I experienced. And so when I see these other people, they may be going through the same thing. And, but I want them to know that um, there is nothing that they cannot do as long as, of course, that they trust in God. And I want us to create a culture where they know that there are people that believe in them. One of the one of the things I, I love there's a, of course a, a scripture that says that that he um, desires truth in the inward parts and so one of the things I try to do is be transparent and as honest and true as possible with whomever I come in contact with and um, there were a couple of quote unquote God moments that I had in my own life where I felt God kind of like reach down and kind of save me. 
Um, one of these experiences were um, when I um, was in a depression after one of my best friends had passed away and um, I didn't know why it happened. I couldn't explain it. And I prayed and I was just like, God, you know, I'm not out here doing all these crazy things. And I asked you for one thing and you couldn't do this one thing for me. And I remember that experience and I remember feeling God just comfort me after he allowed me to have my own pity party. And that was one of those experiences where I was just like, well, I felt something more than myself. Um, I felt somebody come and save me from myself in that moment. There have been other experiences where growing up, you know, I had the bullying like many people, but it, I've always struggled with feeling inadequate or feeling alone or feeling like I wasn't good enough and whatnot. But in those moments, God always stepped in. He always led somebody in my direction or brought me to a place where I could see him in a different way and for myself to be able to see myself in a different way as well. And at those moments, that's how I know that God is real because he always makes himself present to me when I don't even care about myself at times. Michael, as you're talking, I am amazed because I'm looking at you. You seem so together. I'm looking at you thinking, I want to grow up and be like him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I guess what that, what that uh, demonstrates is that none of us actually know the other person's story. Yeah. But God knows. Yeah. And it is God that can change our story and help us to see ourselves as we should see ourselves, as he sees us and as we can be. We're not sure where you are today listening uh, to this conversation. Uh, you may be in a big city. You might even be in New York or, or maybe you're out on a farm or somewhere on another coast, but wherever you are, whatever your trip, whatever your journey, whatever you think about yourself, know this, God knows you. He knows exactly who you are and where you are. He knows where you've been and he knows where you can go. And the trick in life is to align your sense of self with what he sees in you. And to do that, you just need to surrender your life to him. You just need to say, all right already, I." I just stop and realize that by myself, I'm not all that I need to be. But with God, I can do great things. I can change the story of my own life and the world around me. How do you get started? Pray with us. Start right now. All you have to do is just think for a moment and separate yourself from what else is going around. Take a deep breath, if you will, and pray with us. Dear Father in heaven, we're thankful that you have created us. And sometimes life is hard and sometimes it's unexpected in its twists and turns. But Lord, we're thankful that you breathe life into us. And we're asking right now by the work and the power and in the name of your son, Jesus, that you'll breathe life into us a second time and that you'll cause us to be born again and made new. And in that process, may we not just stop there, but grow for a lifetime. As our story now is molded by your will for us, which is always for the good. And Lord, as you change our story, may we change the story of our communities and open up doors of opportunity for us and help us to be willing to step in knowing that we have been created on purpose to do good. And we pray for all who are joining us in this prayer that before seven days pass, all of us will know that you, Lord, are right alongside each of us individually. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to know more about 
Jesus. If you'd like to know more about how your story can be changed or how you might change the story of the community around you, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have a live voice on the phone waiting to hear from you. Please give us a call. But Kimberly, I know not everyone wants to call. How could they find us online? Sure, you can find us online at cbhviewpoint.org, and you can send us a message, and no will respond. That's cbhviewpoint, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's exactly who we are. And maybe you're listening to this conversation already on social media. You could also just reach out to us through that social media feed. We're watching that too. Or at the last, if you prefer, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420 Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, use social media, or use the post, let us hear from you this week. And Kimberly, here's one other cool thing about that Michael Copeland guy. Yes. We have a program with which we are associated that is making grants called Change the Story, and Michael sits on that grant committee. He helps approve the grants we make to change the story of where you live. So reach out to us and learn more about that too. Michael Copeland, so proud to know you. Thanks for coming alongside. My pleasure. My pleasure. I appreciate you all. Hey, we hope we can visit you soon. Please come off to New York. My wife and I will definitely uh, show you guys a good time. I, I believe it. And we are so thankful, Kimberly, that you're here in the studio with us today. Thanks for coming over. Oh, thanks for having me. And to all of our audience, thank you for joining us too. We hope you'll be with us again next week. But until then... For all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.